Good morning, friends. It is good to be with you today, and good morning to our friends online. Grateful to be able to worship with you. I was reflecting, the last time I was here, I think, was our Christmas Eve service. This is a very old music stand. Wow. Take me back to 1962. Huh? Oops. Uh-oh. Um, and anyway, I'm so glad to be able to worship with you all on this uh, officially spring day. Our scripture passage today comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke, verses 45 through 48, and we are reading it in the Message Translation, which is like kind of a slightly more contemporary translation of scripture. So uh, listen for what God might have to say to you. Going into the temple, he began to throw out everyone who had set up shop, selling everything and anything. He said, it's written in scripture, my house is a house of prayer. You have turned it into a religious bazaar. From then on, he taught each day in the temple. The high priests, the religion scholars, and the leaders of the people were trying their best to find out a way to get rid of him. But with the people hanging on every word he spoke, they couldn't come up with anything. May God add a blessing to the reading and living out of this scripture. Please pray with me. God, we are grateful for the gift to come together and to sing songs together, to learn together, to wonder and imagine together what is possible, not only for ourselves, but for us and the world that we live in. And so as we enter into this time of continued worship and reflecting on um, these, uh, these illustrations of who you are in the world and this life of this tremendous person that we are trying to figure out how to follow better, we ask that you would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds so that we might be fully present in this space and so that your spirit might move within us and through us to challenge us, to invite us, to help us see beyond ourselves um, uh, what you are doing in this world and how we can be a part of it. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this story shows up in all four of the Gospels, which according to people who know such things, makes it a pretty good candidate for actually having truly happened. It's the week before Passover, um, the Passover meal, and everyone who can travel are streaming to the center of the party, Jerusalem. And like any giant Lollapalooza-esque party, there was a system to process as many people as possible to keep them in order and to keep them moving along. Everyone knew how this worked. You came into town, checked into your Airbnb before heading to the temple. And once you got there, the first thing you did was you changed your Roman coins for temple coins. And then you go to the sacrificial animal table for a spotless lamb or goat, or if you're strapped for cash, a dove. You take a number, and when it's called, you go into the sanctuary to have your animal slaughtered to atone for your sins. On your way out, maybe you pick up a, I went to Jerusalem and all I got was atonement t-shirt. Bada bing, bada boom. The process had been worked out so well and for so long that a whole religious industrial complex had been built up to service those needs. And on the one hand, you could argue that all of this streamlining of worship um, stuff in worship stuff wasn't necessarily bad, right? Folks were just trying to get help observant pilgrims get through worship and atonement in as orderly and efficient a manner as possible. It was so convenient, so seamless you barely had to think about it. You could go through the motions practically half asleep. And that was the problem. This is what worship had become, another item on the to list of things to do in life, a subcategory maybe under the umbrella topic of self-care. After the atonement, a massage. 
Now, I'm not disparaging self-care or massages. All have their place in the hierarchy of health and needs. But one wonders, is a massage in the same category as the rituals of the soul, as a divine communal event? Some might say so, but it does make you wonder, what are we doing here on Sunday mornings? What is worship? Who is it for and why should we even bother? These are the questions that we're reflecting on today as we continue in our exploration of spiritual practices in our Lenten sermon series. These are questions that came up for a lot of folks over the course of the last couple of years, especially once we moved online for worship. And over the last six months or so, they've taken on a different and new shape as we begin to gather again in person at Urban Village Church. While what are we doing here was one of the big questions that many grappled with throughout the pandemic, it's also a question that's, gathered for, that's for us gathered here today. What are we doing here, right now? One of the things about Jesus's life and ministry that um, seems like people kind of hear but they don't really hear is that when Jesus first stepped into his call, he was almost killed. And I know that sounds like a little dramatic, but it's really true. And not just by a mob of strangers, it was by his home church. Some of you might recall this. Earlier in Luke 4, Jesus unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and reads a passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at first, people were amazed at how well he spoke. Look at little Jesus, all grown up. Isn't he precious? But then he started preaching. And they heard the words coming out of his mouth and moved pretty quickly from gushing about to rushing him out, threatening to throw him over the nearest cliff. And it's a wonder he wasn't completely traumatized. But not only is he not traumatized, he keeps on preaching these outlandish sermons about caring for the widows and the poor, liberation for the oppressed, and how blindly following the rules and being a good Christian, of course, he means Jews, but that doesn't make sense for us here, how all of that means nothing to God. Crowds start following him, and the atonement t-shirt sales start plummeting, while the what would Jesus do bracelets start soaring, and all the people who thought they had a lockdown on the market suddenly found their game disrupted by this upstart rabbi. And they think they're playing the same game until Jesus comes and turns over all the merch tables, not just the ones selling the t-shirts, but the bracelets too. And they realize they're dealing with something else altogether. But they're so deep in their hustle, they're not quite sure what that is. The leaders don't get it, but the people do. Because as scripture tells us, they are hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. What are the leaders missing? What does Jesus see that they can't see? What Jesus sees are people. People suffering. And people in despair. Despair about the state of their relationships, their health, their government, and all the deficit of intangibles that make up a life well lived. Things like time to sleep, and play, and savor your food to read and get your laundry done, to lay in the grass and stare at the sky next to people that you trust and so that you can wander together. Opportunities to learn and grow and change your mind with grace and belonging, to not only see what is, but catch a glimpse of what could be, to understand ourselves as important, but also not more important than anyone else. 
and perceive that we are part of something and someone so much bigger than any one of us. Worship is the space of order that we clear in the midst of our chaos and, and the chaotic world that we live in to be reminded not only of what really matters, but how to live with integrity, purpose, and courage amidst it all. Showing up to greet people like Gretchen did this morning and being made to feel welcome. It's about leading songs and singing along, teaching children and remembering that you are God's beloved child, enjoying a meal and washing the dishes. It is all of these because these provide pathways of, for offering and experiencing God's grace. It's an economy of mutuality where the currency is relationships. Worship is hearts and minds together oriented in the same direction towards God's vision of wholeness of life for all for at least one morning a week. Worship is work, our efforts, efforts to fully show up and God's presence mingling together as the veil between here and there grows thin. As Jesus said so many times in so many places of worship, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And it is here, if you would let it be. So what's in the way? Maybe it's resentment or grief that Sunday today doesn't look like Sunday two years ago. Maybe it's wounds that have not been properly treated through community care and self-work. Maybe it's disappointment at what you thought should be in the face of what is. Or perhaps it's disillusionment with the church altogether, that it's not the place of wholehearted belonging and perfect connection that God invites us to work toward. Maybe it's just not enough sleep or too much to do or a creeping sense that if people really knew who you were, then they wouldn't have anything to do with you. What's in the way? There might be things in the way. Even so, and it's a rare moment that I will wholeheartedly agree with the Apostle Paul, but I'm with him when he says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Things might be in the way, but they'll never be able to block out God's presence completely. So then, in spite of all that's in the way, how can the kingdom of God come near to you? Maybe it's in the welcome that you received from Gretchen, or the invitation to write your pronouns on your name tag. Perhaps it's the ritual of sharing peace, such a strange and ancient and wholly essential practice as we saw, because halfway through Christian's invitation, people were already up greeting one another. Something about that. Or maybe it will be in the cup or the bread or the prayer that Jesus taught us disciples to pray and that we pray every Sunday when we gather around the table. It could be the children who will dance up front uh, at many of our worshiping sites uh, or that we might hear in a thundering um, race at some point during the service. Or it could be in our closing song. Where has, where will, where do you invite God's presence to break through? upend or tear down the barriers you have carefully constructed to protect yourself from 
from, from the very transformation you seek. We humans are strange, aren't we? Uh, but that's why we need worship. To show up as our fully human selves and keep showing up, regardless of whether the community is ready to praise you or throw you off the cliff, whether you want to praise or throw someone else off the cliff. Let's be honest, right? Because it's through worship when we journey together in all of our bumbling realities, with all of our bumps and bruises, to show up and hear the words of a man who experienced all the same things, belonging and banning, adoration and exclusion, gratitude and grief. A man who experienced all those things and kept showing up, and even more than that, kept pushing and preaching so that others could show up too. Turning over tables, not so much to make a spectacle, to make a spectacle as a point. That worship is more than a t-shirt-worthy event. And each of us, each of us, each of us is worth more than a marketplace. What is worship? What is worship? It's the opportunity to put the profane in conversation with the sacred, if only for a moment and confront the ways that we are broken and fearful and anxious and self-obsessed to exchange all of these pennies of human frailty for the currency of God's love and grace and transformative restoration. Worship is the opportunity to touch the mystery of what it means to be woven into God's story, to look up and see beyond our own experiences. This is why there's stained glass window up here, and when you go to the great cathedrals throughout Europe, all the artwork is on the ceiling, because it's trying to pull you out of yourself and see how big and beautiful the world can be, even if it is sometimes problematic and all the Jesuses are white. <laughs> to look up and then see how all of these things converge and diverge from one another in ways that render a tapestry of God's unique design that could never look the same if you were not part of it. Worship is the cauldron of God's imagination where we stir and are stirred, catching a glimpse of the kingdom come near, participating in the preparation of God's good feast, which we enjoy when we set a place for someone else, even as we take our own seat at Jesus's ever-expanding table. So how will you worship today? How will you worship today? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of worship. What a strange event that it is, and yet somehow it is what we need in so many different seasons of our lives. We thank you that you fight for us to have a place in it and help us, God, to get out of ourselves long enough, frequently enough, to fight for others to have a place as well. Help us to know the ways that we are called to participate in making that space for others, and help us to know when we need to step back and let others take the lead so that we can experience belonging just as we are. We thank you for this gift, the mystery that it is and the very practical concrete things that it is. And we ask that as we show up in worship, no matter what the day, no matter how we're feeling, that you would meet us in that space and that we would leave with having caught a glimpse of what is possible through the work of your spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.